right, well, good morning, Doxa. As always, church, it's, it's great to see you. It's great to be together. If you are new to Doxa, my name is Rob, and hope you feel welcomed. Honestly, it's, it's great to have you part of our family gathering today. I'm one of the pastors here and just really just thankful that you chose to join us this morning. But, you know, before we jump into the Bible, ladies, do you have enough gas in the tank for some more Bible teaching? I mean, you kind of... A little bit, okay. Some of you are not so sure, but you guys got like fed by like a, a fire hose this, this weekend, but was it good? That's awesome. So let me just, I wanna do this, like women of Doxa, let me just like say this to you, like man, we are incredibly thankful to have so many godly women part of our church. So many strong leaders, so many just loving, graceful women. And so we're just, so thankful, and before we even jump into the Bible, I just wanna pray for you, because um, you guys, the stuff you engaged with this, this weekend, you know, it wasn't just a, a good time, but you were given some like life-changing truths. And one of the things that would be just a shame is to walk out of this weekend and just kinda put your notes on the shelf and just forget about it. I wanna tell you, like, God is a father, and he brought you to that place of this conference to break in, to do something profound. And so lean into that. So let me just pray for the ladies. Men, you can join me in, in praying for them. So God, thank you for the women you've brought to Doxa. We love them. We love you and Holy Spirit, I just ask that, man, that you would just light up something that they encountered this weekend. A thought that they had, just kind of a revelation that they had about your character, a sin and insecurity in their life that you wanna help root out so they can walk in freedom and just do a great work. Because we know that, God, we, we have great women, but the potential is just with you in our lives, just through the roof. And we know that as our women grow in godliness, like the world will continue to change. And so, Father, just continue to speak to them, encourage them. We just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we love you, ladies. Um, go ahead, grab your Bibles, all right? Find your way to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, all right? I say this all the time, but if you are new, you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one today, all right? You can stop um, back at the, the welcome space right at the left of the auditorium when you walk out, grab as many as you want for your family. We really believe that one of the greatest gifts that we could give anybody is the, the gift of, of God's words to us in the Bible, all right? That are not just like from the pens and the mouths of men and women throughout history to be encouraging, but they're literally words from God to help us, to save us, to point us to Jesus, the gift that we all need in this world. So grab a couple Bibles for your family, but here's what I wanna do. I just wanna read this section today, okay? We're, we're journeying through, this is like week 10 or 11, or I can't even remember, of 1 Corinthians, this 30-week study that we're doing. We're gonna be in a few short verses here, starting in verse 17, so I just wanna read it, and then we're gonna jump into kind of understanding it and applying it to our lives. So chapter seven, verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anybody at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. 
For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when is called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Doxa, you were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now, as we get into this, let me just remind you of the context in which Paul is, is writing, okay? Not just here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, but really the entire letter of 1 Corinthians. Paul writes all that he does to a church that he started a number of years ago, which is now falling into decline. And he's writing this to Christians who are just kind of young in their faith, they're super zealous, but simultaneously they were very easily confused, all right, and really just kind of unfaithful, which really just caused them to be in a state of just upheaval and instability. And as we have been studying this letter, we've, we've seen this confusion and this upheaval in terms of spiritual leadership. Early on in the book of, or the letter of 1 Corinthians, we, we saw this in, in their understanding of the truths of God, living in relationships, sexuality, marriage, singleness, divorce, and this upheaval is so significant that in verse 17 through 24, Paul basically issues a call for stability. All right, that what we just read today is really just a call for Christian contentment. And this idea of contentment is really just like the foundation, it's the umbrella to all of these, these seven verses that we just read today that we're considering. And this is why Paul says in verse 17, after he finished talking about the circumstances of, of marriage and divorce, that each person should remain in the place of life that the Lord has assigned him. And I believe really what Paul is doing here is he's addressing the notion and challenging the idea that so many people have at times, and it's this. So many of us in this room probably even think this, that if I could just change my circumstances, then everything would be okay. That if I could just change the external factors which are part of my life, if I could just deal with certain things, certain circumstances, and just change all that, then somehow everything would fall into place. Guys, it's really just the thought that if I can change all these circumstantial things, all of these issues going on in my life, then I would be in a really great position to just enjoy life and faithfully serve God. Some of us, we, we think about this. You're in this place right now where you have that thought. And what Paul is saying here, as it relates to contentment in life, is the important truth that the real and necessary change that we all need in our lives is not just an external change of atmosphere, but really an internal change of attitude. Right, because attitude, not atmosphere, is what leads to contentment. And this is the idea that Paul communicated. Here, but not only this, but if you know your Bible, we should think back to places like 1 Timothy. He's writing to a young pastor in 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. He says, godliness with contentment is great game. And as we consider this idea of being content in life, this is just a very rare posture in our world today for people to have. Not many people are very content. The truth is, is many people in our country, many people in our city, many, many of us in this church are not content in life. We have this thought that the grass is always greener on the other side. We have the thought that, I mean, I just need more to be all right. More money, more friends, more influence, more recognition, more stuff. And maybe it's not even just more, but it's like something different, a different job, a different spouse, a different situation, just whatever. That if we just had something more, 
or something different, then everything would be all right in my life, and then I could finally be content. If we're all honest, I mean, we've all had those thoughts. We've all fallen prone to like that way of thinking. And Paul really just steps in and he says, Christian, this is not the right way to think about your life. And if you look back to our passage, he gives us the right glorifying godly way to think about our lives. Three different times in the course of these seven verses. Look, verse 17, each one should remain in the place in life that the Lord has assigned him. Verse 20, each one should remain in the situation which he was when God called him. Verse 24, each man should remain in the situation God called him into. Paul says, remain where God has you and be content. Now, as we always do, when we come to the Bible, we ask questions. And here, we, we really just need to ask, like, what does this like, mean and what does this look like? Like, how are we to understand this? And I just want you to listen to the words of a theologian named John Calvin as he comments on this. But Calvin says it like this. He says, Paul is not here categorically denying the possibility of changing our circumstances, but he is rather seeking to check those impulses uncontrolled by reason, which drive many here and there so that they are confused by their constant restlessness. How many of you like feel restless in life? Paul here is, he's talking about the impulses that we have that leads to just a constant restlessness in life. This was the Corinthians, just restless. Should I be or get married? Should I stay married? Do I need to find a different spouse? Is, there, is it better to be single? What about my employment? Do I need to find a different job? Like, where do I go now? Like, what do I do next? Do I need to do something different or special now that I'm a Christian? These are the things that the Corinthians were asking of themselves and they're writing to Paul, and Paul is just writing back and helping them. With. And I would submit to you that these things, these questions that they're asking are really things that we need some help on as well. Because we tend to be a very restless people. And what Paul is doing here is he's calling upon restless people to just faithfully live for the glory of God and the good of others right where you are, the place that God has you in this moment. Right here at the end of this, Doxa. This is really just a call to be a Christian where you are. That there was this perpetual restlessness in Corinth, people trying to figure out how to live as a Christian, and Paul simply says, be content. Remain with God where you're at. And I believe that God wants, us, wants to help us know how to do this. And so three things that we need to grab hold of in order to help us grasp contentment in life. Paul's gonna say this. Number one, he says, we're gonna need to understand our calling. Number two, we need to embrace our identity. And number three, we need to learn to live faithfully where we're at. So let's walk through these, okay? Number one, understanding our calling. Look back to verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. All right, Paul uses two important words, assigned and called. The Lord assigning, God calling. And this idea of calling is really just a big part of 1 Corinthians chapter seven here. And something so crucial for us to understand because it relates to contentment in life. And for us, you know, oftentimes we use the word calling to kind of refer to our vocation. Right? God has called me to be like a homemaker, a fireman, a pastor, a teacher, like whatever. But Paul is going to show us here, just by using this word calling, that really every Christian has two callings, one of which is absolutely foundational. And the first calling, the first type of calling that every Christian has is really just what we can call like an effectual calling or a vertical calling. 
And every time the word calling or a form of it shows up in this passage with one exception, it's in reference to Christians' effectual vertical identity calling in which God calls someone to himself through faith in Jesus. All right, that God's saving grace, which saves people from sin, Satan, death, and hell, is spoken of as a call in verses, if you look, 17, 18, 20, 21, 22, 24. And this is like the unshifting foundational core calling for every Christian. All right, it's the call of God that brought you to faith in Jesus. This is the core calling that caused you to cross from death to life, taking you from an enemy of God because of your sin to a child of God because of his grace and your faith. It's the call that makes a sinner a saint. It's the call that makes you new. This is what Paul is gonna talk about in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. And this call is really just the wellspring out of which everything else flows. And Docs, I just need you to understand this, okay? This is huge. All right, this is where believers are intended to derive their contentment, their fulfillment, their identity, security, comfort, and hope. And this calling is primarily vertical because it has everything to do with you, how you relate to God and how you see your life. Now, in addition to this, this vertical, effectual calling, there's an additional calling, like a, a supplemental calling or a vocational calling. And out of the nine times that Paul uses the word calling in these, verse, these verses, the, the form of the sub, sub or what do I say, like this, oh yeah, horizontal, like, uh, occupational, vocational calling. He uses it only one time here. All right, but this secondary calling is really just not designed to function as our source of contentment in life. It's not made to like give us identity and fulfillment or security, anything like that, but it's really just to help believers. It's to help us know how do we live in the everyday stuff of life towards the people around us. All right, so God calls us to himself for salvation and then he assigns us a position and a task throughout our lives, which we are then to just live faithfully and contently. But here's what we need to understand, okay? When Paul says in verse 17, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him, this is my rule in all the churches. He's saying that for every believer, not just for like the, the crazy Christians in Corinth, but for even for us as Christians here in Madison, what he's telling us is on the basis of understanding God's great love and call to save us, because God has been good to you and faithful to you in giving you salvation, Paul says, you can trust God with the rest of your life, not just your eternal life. And I think, honestly, Doxa, this is why so many Christians are discontent. That we can sit in a place like this, be reminded of the gospel, and we can trust God in dealing with our sin and giving us eternal life through faith, but we oftentimes fail to trust him in our daily life, in our daily circumstances. But the truth is, God is sovereign. We need to understand the sovereignty of God. It's peppered throughout the Bible. He's sovereign in his dealing, that nothing happens outside of God's will and decree. And even where you find yourself today, in the circumstances that you're living in right now, good or bad, Paul says, trust God. That you can trust God. And Docs, we have to believe that this is true. Because in order to rightly hear this text, in order to really just submit to it, you have to hear that God is at work in his absolute authority, wisdom, power, and out of his love for you. 
that we have a God who's just like an omnibenevolent king, a loving father, and he loves and cares for his people, his kids, you. And with infinite goodness, he's actually having a purpose for every single Christian in the very situation that you find yourself in today and every day of your entire life. And so very practically, all right, maybe you're sitting here and you're just discontent. You're thinking about your life, the circumstances that you're, you're living in, you're wanting something to change, you're desiring something more, you're striving for just contentment, but you're just discontent. Here's what I'll tell you. Trust God. And I know, this is like the Sunday school answer. You're like, that's what they say in Docs of Kids. It's because it's true. And we're laying a foundation for our kids to actually live it out when they get our age. It's absolutely true. Trust God. He's never let you down. He's never gonna let you down. And this really takes me back to the quote from Paige Brenton Brown that I shared last week where she said, it's a cosmic impossibility for God to withhold good from his kids because he is good. And so Christian, pray, talk to God. Let him know your wants and your desires, but as you pray, trust him that he is actually good and that he has something in store for you and in plan for you. And as you do this, this will lead to contentment in life. Now you know what I love? I love that Paul can write this, all right? Because if you just think about it, where did Paul spend many of his days as a Christian? Prison, right? Or if not in prison, on the run, because he's trying to, he's, people are trying to kill him. That in the midst of him writing about trusting God and having contentment in life, he's living it. So this isn't like some high and lofty priest in an ivory tower that nothing is going wrong in his life and he's just eating grapes and reading books and all this stuff. This is a guy who is suffering but he knows something about God that oftentimes we don't or we forget. And he says, you can trust God, you can be content where God has assigned you because I can do this. And the spirit has spoken to him and he's given us the words and he's saying, this is absolutely true. That he might not have been happy all the time, but he was content as he trusted in his heavenly father. So docs, I just want you to know, every single one of us, God has you where you are right now for a reason. He does. And I say that as a pastor that knows that some of our situations in here are dark, they're bleak. But God is good, God is sovereign, and he has you where you are for a reason. And we might not be able to see what that reason is right now, but there is in fact a reason, and God wants to do something, and you can trust in his goodness and faithfulness. And one of the things that I pray for is that we wouldn't just be a church that gathers like this and sings songs and like hears the words of God throughout the Bible, but that we would be a church that truly loves and trusts God, allowing us to be faithful in this season of life and content in every season of life. And if we were to do that, just like Paul in the early church, this would make us radically different from the world around us. And not so we can pat ourselves on the back and be like, look how holy we are, but because we could live in such a God-honoring, God-fearing, God-trusting way that people would look at your life and say, how are you doing this right now? And we wouldn't say, man, I've unlocked something and I'm really great, but we would just simply say, Jesus, 
And we would point to the one who gives us hope and security and contentment in life with the purpose that people would come to know him. This is the point. Trust God. Now the second thing that we need in order to help us live a content life is this, is that we need to embrace our identity. Right, look back to verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at his time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. All right, so circumcision and uncircumcision. First Corinthians keeps getting easier and easier, right? I mean, sheesh. I don't know how I got the privilege of like teaching like these last couple chapters of First Corinthians, but it's like, oh, here we go, sex and immorality. And then we skip a couple weeks and then we're like, okay, divorce, marriage, more sex and immorality, right? And now, circumcision, okay? I'm gonna take a vacation after this week, just so you guys know, okay? But let's do this, all right, circumcision. There's gonna be a diagram that pops up here to show you what this is about. No, I'm just totally joking. <laughs> You're like, what, seriously? (laughs) But here's what we need to know, all right? God gave circumcision under the Old Testament law with Abraham, all right, to identify the markings, like to be like an identifying mark of his covenant people. And this seems strange, I know. You know, when I get to heaven, I'm gonna kinda ask God about this. I'm like, why not like a badge or a jersey? Like, why that, it's kinda weird. But anyway, God chose this way, and it's strange to us but nonetheless, God is God, I'm not, so it's his prerogative to do whatever he wants. But this, is, this was the practice, all right, that was the identifier of God's people. And this went on like this until Jesus steps on the scene. And with Jesus, circumcision was no longer the identifying mark that someone belonged to God. But now, the identifying mark is being identified with Jesus in his life, his death, and his resurrection. And this is why we celebrate baptisms. We had baptisms on Easter, we got some coming up in the next couple weeks. But baptism is just like this this public display and visual that identifies a person as God's child. All right, so by going under the water and coming back out, we we identify with Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection, and this symbolizes us being made new through faith and forgiven of our sin by Jesus. Now, when Paul says, hey, if you are circumcised or uncircumcised, it doesn't matter. Here's what you need to know, okay? In Corinth, all right, it was very common for people to go to public bathhouses. All right, we don't have this, but people would go to these places with, I guess, like big swimming pools, and they would just take baths together, okay? It's weird, whatever, but this was a common thing there. But in this practice, all right, the sign of circumcision would have been very, very visible and recognizable. And there was this pressure that Jews and Christians were feeling associated with this sign. So for the Jews, circumcision was was literally everything. It was very much about their identity and incredibly important to them. But for the Gentiles, non-Jews, circumcision was really just something that was actually kind of disparaging. It was a mark that, that a people group that they really kind of just despised had in this first century. And so you had like two groups of people. One like thought circumcision was awesome and you totally needed it, so important. I don't know if awesome is the right word, but definitely needed, all right? The other group was like, you don't need it at all. 
And these Christians were kind of living in this tension of seeking and like saying like, okay, where do we, what do we do with this? And they were living in this tension of like gaining acceptance from their peers by changing external things about themselves. This is what was happening in Corinth. They had this group of people who were saying that to be fully Christian, an external change needs to happen. That you need to be circumcised. But this other group was saying like the opposite. That circumcision was so unimportant that even if you were circumcised, you should actually seek to reverse it. And believe it or not, this was a real medical procedure that people did, reversing their circumcision. I mean, sounds crazy, but it's absolutely real. You can Google it, okay? Don't, don't, actually, don't Google that, okay? Right? Just trust me on this, okay? But here's the point. All right, Paul is saying, hey, your identity is not connected to your external practices. Your identity is not rooted in your religious affiliation. Your identity is not rooted in the things that you do or don't do because hear this, your identity is fully rooted in Jesus Christ, amen? This is a truth that we hold on to. It's rooted in Jesus, who he is, what he has accomplished for you and what he has done and made you. And so Paul says, because that's true, circumcision and uncircumcision count for nothing. He says that what matters most, if you look back, he says is the commands of God. And again, if we think back to Jesus, how does Jesus summarize like the commands of God, the entire law? You remember what he said? He said the heart behind God's law is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so Paul says, like, don't worry about your religion and your outward appearance and the pressures of people to conform. Just love God and love people, amen? Because this is Christianity. This is what we're trying to do. Love God with everything we are and love people. Now, how does this relate to contentment? Glad you asked, it's this. Doxa, your value, your identity, your worth is not rooted in anything that you do but who you are. And who you are is not determined by the words of people, views of success, or socially, religiously, culturally contrived practices, but it's in Jesus. And so many people struggle with being content because our identity and worth, especially as Americans, is wrapped up in what we do and how we look. And so you can't be content because you need that promotion. You can't be content because you don't have what others have around you. You can't be content because you need to work to achieve a certain thing because it's only then that you will be all right. You gotta prove yourself. This is why for so many people it's hard to take a day off. This is why it's hard for so many people to take a Sabbath because the American ideal points us to this upward constant movement to really just kind of feed our identity. And guys, this is a big struggle in my life, it has been. This was like literally my story. And I think I've shared this before but I grew up with my dad saying this to me. He would sit there and he would say, Rob, somewhere out there, there's somebody working harder than you, and when you meet them face to face, they're going to beat you. And this was in the context of athletics, and I know some of you guys are like, man, that's really good. I need to write that quote down and motivate my kids. But let me just tell you, here's what that did to me. 
Please do not do that to your kids. If you're doing that, repent. But here's what this did to me. It created in me a sense that I was never good enough. That I had to keep striving to be good enough for people and even for God. Because if I wasn't the best, then I was actually a failure. And I was literally never content. There was always something more to do. There was always something more to achieve. There was always something more that I could do to like show people that I was valuable. And this is how I fed my identity. And I wish I could tell you that when I became a Christian, like the Holy Spirit just broke in and it was gone. But even as a Christian, this was the case. I mean, as a pastor, I remember years ago, as we were dreaming about moving to Madison and starting a church, I had a great fear in me. A great fear about coming here and starting a church, and it was this. I heard the voice in my head. Rob, if you don't have a huge church, you are a huge failure. It's success-driven ideology. It's what the American dream is really kind of all about. Work, 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 and then you'll be enough. Guys, this is a crushing way to live. It's absolutely crushing. And you ladies who were at the Docs of Women's Conference, you met the woman that God used to break that thought in me. And it was a long, painful, tear-filled journey, but I met God in that season, and for the first time, I realized that my identity and my worth is not rooted in anything external. It's not rooted in my position, my vocation, my success, but in the fact that I'm a child of God. And I tell you that story to say this, guys, I am, for like the first time in my life, in this place where starting to feel contentment. For like the first time. It's amazing. And it's all because of the fact that God finally opened my eyes to understand my identity in Jesus and what he's done and not what I do. Because I pray I pray that Doxa would be filled with people who embrace this truth and hold on to it with just a death grip in a culture that says the opposite thing. So a life of contentment is helped by understanding of calling, embracing our identity. And the last thing I'll mention from this text is this, okay? Contentment in life is helped when we begin to live faithfully where we are. Verse 20. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Be content. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself the opportunity. For he who is, was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Okay, so Paul here is once again reinforcing his point of being content in life, whether it's in regards to marriage or singleness, which he talked earlier on in, in chapter seven, or if it's regards to racial issues with dealing with circumcision, and now he points to social issues and vocational issues as it relates to his illustration of bondservant or, or slave. But Paul, once again, simply is telling the Christians in Corinth to be Christians wherever they're at. 
are to be content and to love, follow, and obey Jesus no matter what situation they find themselves in. But as he mentions this idea of slavery, we need to do a little historical work to just understand this, okay? Historically, there is a vast difference between the slavery forms of ancient Roman world and the colonial pre-Civil War United States of America. We know that the United States once condoned and practiced and facilitated a system of slavery which is perhaps like the most inhumane, self-defeating, just animalistic system of bondage that we could ever see throughout history. And the Bible does not condone this. It's an evil practice because the truth is, is people don't own people. God, he does. And throughout history, Christians who have loved God listen to his words in the Bible and follow Jesus and his words, his works, and his ways, they've brought the freedom of more slaves than any other human philosophy, movement, or political system. It's Christians. And while in the past there have been, in fact, sadly, some Christians who claim to love God, that they've tried to like, take verses out of the Bible and kind of twist them, manipulate it, to make it seem like slavery is justified. But the fact is, the Bible does not say that. It does not do that. It's evil, and where Christians are faithful to God's words in the scriptures, slavery cannot fit flourish. But slavery in the Roman Empire was very complex and different from the American version. And this permeated like all levels of Roman culture. All right, slavery in this time was not so much a racial issue, but it was a social issue. All right, up to one-third of people in any Roman city were slaves. And in this time, slaves were everywhere. And again, this is not the American view of it, of our past, but slaves in this time could be doctors, they could be lawyers, they could be household managers, they could be high-level workers in society. So many different people were slaves. And people would oftentimes sell themselves into slavery, becoming a bondservant to somebody else because they viewed this as a better way of life, to push themselves forward. Because oftentimes, bondservants in this time actually were more educated, had more opportunities than any other Roman citizen. That in the Roman context, slaves would oftentimes be paid money to do their work. And it wasn't uncommon for these slaves and these bondservants to really just save up their money and purchase their own freedom, which Paul affirms in this situation, that is actually good. He's like, this is what the culture is practicing, but people don't own people, so yeah, if you get that opportunity, take it. But that being said, all right, we're not painting a picture of like, wow, bondservant and slavery in this time was really, really good. The fact is, is there were a lot of people, a lot of slaves that had very terrible, evil masters that treated them harshly. But what Paul is saying to the Christians in Corinth who were asking him what people should do who are slaves but now have become a Christian, Paul says this. He says, be content and just be a Christian in that situation. All right, he says that even though that Christian is in a state of slavery, he's actually not a slave to his master, but because of his faith, he's a slave to Christ. And Paul points to the truth that no bondage is as terrible or enslaving as that which Jesus has redeemed us from through faith. That in Jesus, we're we're freed from sin, we're freed from Satan, we're freed from judgment, we're freed from condemnation, from hell, the curse of the law. That form of slavery that really matters the most, every Christian has already been delivered. And Paul is saying that a person who is free in Christ and who will remain free for all of eternity 
should not be overly concerned about remaining in human bondage for a few years. And that's why he says, don't be concerned about it. This is not him saying like, hey, don't worry about this. Like, he's just saying like, there's gonna be a way out. This is gonna end for you. You're not a slave to any human. You're a slave to Jesus. So Paul says whether you're a slave or you're free, in Christ, we're actually all slaves to Jesus, our master, our king, our Lord, our savior. And so for Paul, he's saying that every Christian, no matter what the circumstance that they're living through, should wake up every morning saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your lordship. Thank you for your salvation. Because I'm actually a slave to Christ. And do you see how this is kind of like a leveling field that can lead to contentment? This theological truth is really kind of what kind of started the the progression of just the destruction of, of slavery. And the reason why a lot of human trafficking and modern day slavery still exists is because people don't trust the words of God. Because when people would understand the theology that God gives us, that Paul gives us, of the dignity, value, worth of people because of who they are in Christ, that we are all bondservants of Christ, like slavery cannot stand. The truth that Paul is sharing is that Christians can be Christians in a dictatorship, a democracy, or under anarchy. That we can live as Christians, whether we're a man, a woman, a child, married, single, divorced, Jew, Gentile, slave, or free. That we can be Christians in Russia or the United States. We can be Christians in Cuba or China, in France or Japan. We can be Christians anyway. That whatever we are and wherever we are, we can be Christians. And this is Paul's main point. He's just telling these people, Live for Jesus, no matter where you are at, and trust in him, that he has a glorious plan for your life, that he's in control. No one else, nothing else. And so, Doxa, we can obey God and live for his glory in any situation of life. This is Paul's big point in, in verses 17 through 24. Paul is saying, live as a Christian right where you're at, that God is sovereign and he called you, he sees you, he's got a plan for your life. And regardless of where you're at and what you think of your situation, you can actually trust God and serve God and love God and glorify God right now. And this is the goal of our lives here at Doxa, to live for the glory of God, to live in that contentment. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna invite the band to come up here and and here's how we're gonna end, all right? For those of you who have been in a connection group with me since the start of, of Doxa, um, you know what I'm probably gonna do. <laughs> or as I do it, you're gonna be like, he always does this, all right? But I'm gonna read Ephesians chapter one to you. And here's why. I just want you to take in all that God has done in your life. I want you to understand the great blessings that God gives us. I want you to understand who God is because when we actually know who God is, what God does, what God has given, guys, this will lead to contentment in life. It's not just like, oh man, I need to rewire my brain. It's like, you need to submit to Jesus 
and understand what it is he gives. So 1 Corinthians, or uh, Ephesians chapter 1. It's this beautiful chapter. Because these are the truths that we just need to allow sink into us. And I just want to read this and pray this over you. Paul says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him. Doxy, God looked at you and he chose you. Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself. You have a God that looks at you in your mess and he has chosen you, he's called you out and he's adopted you, he's brought you into his family by the sacrifice of his son, he's made you his child. He's adopted you through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through the blood of Jesus, amen. This is what Jesus does. God has given us redemption through the blood of Jesus. That sin no more has the last word. Jesus does, and Jesus says it is finished. He's redeemed us through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance. The best is yet to come. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who are the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, Doxa, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. If we believe this, if we believe this is God's word to us, and we let that truth sink from our head to our heart. Trust, joy, worship, wonder, awe, praise, contentment will come. God has given us everything and so Christian, believe this. Pray and just ask the Holy Spirit to just like ingrain this in your heart. Those of you who are here and you're not a Christian, you need to understand Jesus is the answer. Every question that you have, it always goes back to Jesus. As we're talking about contentment, you're never gonna reach contentment without Jesus. And all of this that I read is not true of you right now. And I say this in a loving, hopeful way because Jesus is standing here with his hands open and saying, it can be. Come to me, give me your sin, I'll give you all of this. And I will bless you with everything. And so really, the invitation, as always, is all of us to come to Jesus, to hope and to trust in him. So I'm gonna invite you to stand and we're gonna sing. And so God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul. Most of all, thank you for Jesus. For giving us a way out of our sin, but also a reason for joy 
in a way to have contentment in life. And so as we sing, Holy Spirit, would you just remind us of the words that we're singing, the words that we've heard this morning, and just reinforce to us that they're true. Help us to grab hold of them. We just ask this in Jesus' name.